this week on our thing. I didn't want to go to trial and face a lot of time. I didn't want to plead guilty. Special guest Seth Ferrenti. But I made this plan. Describes his incredible journey from criminal fugitive to the acclaimed documentarian of White Boy Rick and the Dope Men. Then I was going to fake my death. Stay tuned for the most entertaining hour in radio. This is our thing with everyone's favorite ex gangster, Gunner. Gunner, 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 Gunner. What's up? Welcome back to Our Thing. I'm here with my partner in crime, Bill Crooks from Partners in Crime Podcast. Make sure to check out his podcast. It's awesome. I'm just saying. So what I'm going to talk about a little bit today is I had a pretty interesting experience. I was contracted to go down to Detroit to film for a real big YouTube channel called The Connect. His channel's got a million subscribers. Nice guy named Johnny Mitchell. It's a true crime podcast on YouTube. He's also a professional comedian, and he's really funny. So make sure to check out his comedy. He's super funny. He's a good dude. So, you know, says I'll give you a few hundred bucks. You come down here. We're going to do shoot this true crime documentary type episode for my channel in Detroit. Now, I was going to drive down there, but I hate driving. So I said, you know what? I was going to stay with my buddy, Albert, who was my uh, bunkie in prison. One of my bunkies in prison. Yeah, he's a good dude. Really good dude. Like a really hardworking, good dude, solid dude. And I, when I go down to the city, down to Detroit, I stay with him because I feel like it, I'm at home there. This is one of those things where you feel at home with him, like he's family. He loves me. I love him. But he tells me, listen, Sunday, I'm going up to help my sister move in Mayo, which is about an hour from where I live. So I said, I'll just take a bus down to Detroit, save myself the, the, the driving and the gas and the headache because I hate driving. And then I'll just drive back up with you on Sunday to Mayo. And then I'll have my wife pick me up there in Mayo. So that's what we do. So I jump on a bus. Don't like buses. I've had a, some bad experiences, but whatever. I'll get on the bus. Everybody who's taken a bus has had a bad experience. Right. On a bus. Exactly. There's <laughs> nothing good that comes from buses, man. They're very rarely. So I end up in Flint, Michigan for a layover, which they didn't tell us we were going to have, like an hour layover. This is when something happens and it's very, very scary. And I wanted to share it and I wanted to try to share it so people can think about what happened and maybe stay on their toes. So I did 13 years in prison. I was a gangster. I did a lot of bad stuff, and I was a really bad guy. Um, I've changed. I'm good. Uh, I wasn't a killer in the street, but I knew killers. I was around killers. I, I knew a bunch of really bad guys. And so uh, maybe I'm hyper aware because of all the years in prison. But I'm sitting there in the bus station, and there's maybe 10, 12 people outside, another 10, 12 people inside. And I'm looking at my phone, minding my business, and there's big old dude. He's about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, probably about 270, 280, and he's got his hand in his hoodie pocket on his stomach there and the other hand free and he's shuffling back and forth and he's staring at me and i, I could see him staring at me in the corner of my eye but i'm kind of make eye contact because i don't want to talk to dude i don't know and he's still but i can tell he's up to something and he's kind of shuffling funny and, and he's how old is this guy i would say 25 to 30 oh, he's young so he's young yeah so he walks by me and all of a sudden like i, I watched him checking me out like twice go back and forth then he leans over to me he's right up in my face he goes you like Nordies? And I kind of like back up. I go, uh, probably not, bro. I don't even know what those are. Can you give me some space? A little bit of space? He's like right in my face, you know? And he goes, oh. And he starts walking, but he's shuffling again. Still got his hand in the pocket. Red flag. I'm starting to go, man, this dude is on drugs or he's drunk. And the problem is when somebody is on drugs or drunk, they're much more dangerous, Bill. You know that. Sure. Because they're stupid. And they do something that is really stupid, which is like pick a fight. Or make a guy like me a mark. I'm a 230 pound guy. I'm a big dude, but my head's shaved. I've been 13 years in prison. 
I'm not the guy you want to pick a fight with or try to rob. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not a mark. Right. But the if you're drunk or on drugs, they're stupid. They don't care. So he walks by me again. He stops. He leans right over me and like slaps my jacket where, you know, I own our thing apparel, our thing apparel.com. Make sure to check it out. But so my jacket says our thing Detroit. And he walks up and he like with the back of his hand taps my jacket goes our thing. What's that? And I go, clothing brand bro please can you give me some space because he's right in my face and he goes oh and he still got his hand in his hoodie and i'm freaking out so i open up the zipper on my duffel bag where i have a very big knife i have an eight inch hunting blade knife in a sheath i unsnap the sheath pull the knife out i also have bear spray which is funny i'm just saying if something happens in a you know suicide bomber or whatever i got bear spray and a knife i don't can't carry a gun because i'm a felon I uh, wish I could, but I had this knife and it's just as deadly if you know how to use it. So I got my hand on this knife and I watch this guy go over and he starts talking to this little black dude, right? And the guy, the, the black dude looks like a crackhead. He's, he's got a dirty old dingy red jacket. He's skinny. He's little. And they're whispering. They're whispering to each other and they're looking at me. They keep looking at me. So then the one dude starts walking towards me, the big dude, and the smaller guy starts walking by and he goes, anybody want to sell some cigarettes? I'm looking for some cigarettes. I'm freaking bust out looking to buy a cigarette. And now they get about 10 feet away from me. I stand up. And in my duffel bag, I'm holding this knife. In my mind, I'm going through all the motions. I'm literally going through the motions of what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. If his hand comes out with a gun, I'm going to grab his wrist and jam this knife through the side of his head. I'm literally planning to murder a dude, right? Or protect myself. And I'm going, okay, don't make a mistake, man. If he's got a gun, you, you can't miss. When you go to grab his wrist, you can't miss. You have to get his wrist, hold his wrist, and bam! If I stick that knife through the side of his head, he's instantly dead. It's game over. Then I got to deal with the police and the investigation. Probably got to bond out, blah, 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 blah. This is all going through my head. And you know what, though? All this is going through your head, but here's the problem with drug addicts. They think you're completely oblivious. Yes. They think they are moving in fast motion and you're in slow motion. They're like, now nah, we're doing this Abbott Costello routine and he's going to never see it coming. You're <laughs> 10 steps ahead of him. That's the problem. If you're hooked on dope, I'm telling you, you're not even one one thousandth as smart as you're believing you are. Amen. That's why I, I didn't like, that's why I didn't drink when I used to go to the clubs. I always get in fights and stuff. I didn't drink. I didn't use hard drugs. I, I wouldn't even smoke weed before I go out. And right? I needed a clear mind. And it's like you said, this guy in his mind, he sees me as a mark. Oh, guy looks like he's got money. He's got a $200 tracksuit on and a nice duffel bag. And, and he's got a, you know, he looked like he got stuff together. Probably got a couple hundred bucks in his pocket. Who knows what's in that bag? This guy's a mark. He, that's what he's thinking about me. Right. He's totally overlooking the fact that you look like Mike Tyson. <laughs> right. And I did. Yeah. And exactly. And I was a gangster for, you know, most of my life before prison. It's like, dude, you are, you are making the biggest mistake of your life. And it might be the last mistake of your life if you if you come out with a weapon. You know, I wouldn't care if I was thinking if he comes out with a screwdriver. I'm getting him. I mean, I'm I'm determined. I'm, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to leave my wife a, a, a widow for the rest of her life because some drunk or drugged out mother ever wants to rob me and maybe stabs me in the chest or the head with a screwdriver or a gun, whatever. Gets. Right. Or if he's got a little snub nose revolver right. in there, he don't even have to pull it out. He's just going to point. Shoot. Yeah. Like a little, you're, you're right there. A little 25 or 22 sure. in there. And it's all, that's what I think he's got in my mind. I'm thinking he's got a little 25. And if he comes out with it and just says, Hey man, give me the bag and give me your wallet or whatever. I got it in slow motion, but fast motion, grab his wrist and jump up and slam this blade through the side of his head instant kill of course everyone's gonna scream and freak out oh my god blood squirting everywhere this guy just killed the guy no no this guy was gonna kill me 
He probably didn't have the intentions of killing me, but if a guy pulls out a gun, I'm not waiting to find out. You know what I'm saying? It is what it is. So this guy literally has picked the worst mark you could possibly pick. Only thing that could have made it worse is if I had a gun on me. Anyways, I'm standing there with this duffel bag and my knife in my hand, and they're getting closer to me now, like five feet away. I turn around and walk inside. I walk inside because I'm looking around. There's no cameras. I'm worried about the aftermath. After I kill him, like there are cameras showing that he came at me and I could, de- I was defending myself. I look around. It's a bus station in Flint, Michigan. There's no cameras. Like, why are there no cameras right here, man? It's crazy. So I go inside hoping there's cameras in there and maybe like they'd be less apt to try try me because it's inside. Again, there's one guy working in there. He's behind bulletproof glasses. Flint, Michigan is a ghetto, really bad ghetto. It's like worse than Detroit in some places. And so I sit down with these two girls and I'm talking, but I'm still sitting there with my hand on this blade in my thing, right? The big guy who comes walking in and he's staring at me again, like staring at me. I'm like, what the frick? As soon as I walked in, within a minute, he walks in, he goes to the bathroom, he comes back out, he's walking towards me. He starts angling towards me. I got my hand white knuckled around this knife. And I'm thinking, this is it. Here we go. He's going to try it. Here we go. And he walks up and kind of leans toward me and goes, I was talking about Norcos, bro. Norcos. I said, bro, I don't even know what Norcos are. You got the wrong guy. I don't want no Norcos. I don't want nothing, bro. Please back up. Well, I think he's talking about Nordies. I looked it up. It's like some kind of chemo drug that they sell. It blocks serotonin levels. It's supposed to keep cancer patients from getting nauseous. Well, but apparently it's got a street value. Neurotins. He said Neurotins is what they were. Not Norcos, but Neurotins. I'm sorry. That's what he said. Nordy is... I- he had a word for it. Yeah, they call it a Nordy, right? I think he said Nordy. I don't know for sure. Yeah, that's what they're saying. It's a Nordy. I can't even pronounce the real yeah. name of it. But yeah, so Nordy. So what the frick? I, what in his deluded mind made him think that I look like somebody who would be interested in some Nordies, some Neurotins? I'm like, bro, I look like an athlete. I'm I'm 50 years old. I'm, you know, I, I, I just want to be left the F alone, please. You know, I don't want to have to kill a mother effer because you, you're so, so drugged up and stupid or drunk that you think I'm going to be the mark. Really? I guess I looked like I had more money than everybody else there, which I probably did. Like I, I only had a hundred dollars on my wallet, but who knows? I'm- Four seats over some scrawny old guys like counting a bunch of twenties. <laughs> he's, he's oblivious to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's some dude over four seats over. He's got 10 grand. He's got freaking 12 pounds of weed in his duffel bag under the bus. But so now after this happens, a bus shows up, he gets on and leaves. And I cannot tell you how relieved I am. I'm so freaking relieved. Like I can breathe, man. For 20 minutes, I'm like, my heart is racing and boom, 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 boom. And I'm just going, what am I going to tell my wife when I got a caller from jail and I'm in jail and the investigator is going to take time. They're going to have to have me bond out. They're going to charge me. I know that. And I'm going to fight it. Maybe. I don't know. It's just It's horrible, horrible. The worst case scenario, man, a nightmare. This is my worst nightmare come to fruition. Thank God. Thank you, Jesus, that it didn't happen. So I was so relieved. But now I still got like, you know, two hours on a bus. So <laughs> We got more bus stops. We got to go to Saginaw. We got to go to like, oh, man. Then I get to downtown Detroit. I get off in downtown Detroit. And I'm like, dude, this place is like packed. There's crackheads all over the place walking around. So the next day I went to Albert's house and I kind of tell them the story. Nobody's really taking it that serious because they don't understand how freaked out I was. You know, they, they, they're normal people. I'm not normal. I live out in the country in the middle of nowhere. I, I don't, I'm not around people. Yeah, and he's not lying. He lives in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And I don't have any interaction with human beings. And I, I prefer it that way. I think that's how you have the gift of being able to talk and just go and go and go because most of your day, you're not saying a freaking word. No, just my wife. <laughs> There's no reason to. 
Yeah, no, just to my wife here and there. We both work from home. So what happens next is I go shoot for this YouTube channel the next day, and we're all over the ghetto, east side ghetto of Detroit. And Gross Point, where I grew up, was very wealthy enclave. Where I'm showing around the city, kind of where the mob was epicentered. I'm showing them around the different famous neighborhoods in the ghetto. And it's dangerous as hell, man. We're down in the ghetto, bro. I mean, it's bad. At one point, he's like, I want to get a shot of us in front of these like two abandoned houses. But one of them turned out to be some old lady was living in it. And it looked abandoned, bro. And I get out of the car. I mean, I'm like, this crack house across the street. And I get out of the car. I look up that at him. And he's a tall, skinny white dude from L.A. I go, just for the record, this ain't safe, bro. He's like, what? I said, bro, that is a running crack house across from us. 30 feet away. Like, that's an open drug bazaar in there. I saw guys moving around. It's a abandoned house, windows busted out. It's a, you know, it's a crack house. And then and all the houses around were run down or whatever. He's like, well, let's just get this shot real quick. And we stand in front of these houses, and like, all of a sudden, I see some old black lady's face poking out through the window, uh, like the blind. This poor old lady had to be 90 years old. She, I think she lived in that house her whole life. It was so run down. It's hard to believe that anyone could even live there. But she had an alarm, ADT alarm thing in the front of the house. Like, I got an alarm. I might be old. I might be in the hood, but I got an alarm. So anyways, I, that's what we do. And I'm nervous, you know, about that. But then the next day, I go with Albert to Walmart. And I, I you know, I, I've been to Walmart, you know, a couple of times up here. It's not too bad, you know, where I live. But I go into Walmart and we, we park way out in the parking lot. As we're walking in, I'm looking around. Every I'm looking, I'm evaluating threats. Everywhere I look, I'm going, Albert, man, that dude right there, he looks like a militant. That guy's a freaking jihadist. And this guy's that. And he's, he's laughing at me. He's going, dude, will you relax? It's not that serious, bro. I said, bro. Look at what happened to Israel, man. Those people were going about their day, living their life one day, and all of a sudden, you know, a thousand dudes chip through their doors, start blasting and killing babies and raping and murder. Dude, it's going to happen here, man. I said, it's Oh, yeah, we got a porous border now. You know that. Exactly. God knows what's coming through. Exactly. Uh, it's not who knows. It's just how many. How many of these people, these radicals um, who hate the West and hate America, are here already have set up shop in places like detroit minneapolis you know denver i'm very fearful that you know this is only like four or five days after this happened in israel right on the heels of that and i'm thinking they're all calling on you know their brothers against the west and americans and albert i find this i got through to albert at one point i said bro you know, that dude right there could be a freaking jihadis you know they could take this whole walmart hostage and you know blow it up with a suicide bomb who knows and I'm like, bro, it's, it's serious, bro. People are dying every day. On top of that, I'm like, you see them two dudes standing over there? Them dudes are up to some. The two dudes. They, these two dudes, they look like freaking they're drug addicts and they're looking to steal or rob or whatever. And I'm, when we go out the parking lot, you see that guy right there? He's up to something. He's checking out cars. He's looking to break. You see that guy? And he, he starts going, man, relax. And then he starts looking. He's like, you're right, bro. Those dudes look like they're shady as hell. Look like they're about to freaking. And I'm like, yeah, bro. You were in prison with me, bro. You know how many crazy sociopathic criminal minded mother efforts are in the world. We, we were one of them. Like we were them. You know, we, we weren't sociopaths or killing, hurting people, but I'm just saying we were criminals. There's so many drug addicts out here that are desperate and for, for a fix. I've been there. I was a drug addict who was desperate to fix. And what I want to do, I pull out a gun and I rob people. I used to sit at the ATM machine and rob dudes and they'd pull up. I'd come around the corner, you know, pull it out, max it out. I know you got at least 500. Otherwise, if you don't, you're in trouble. And boom. So that's how desperate I was. So now you're in a city of, of, of millions with Detroit, four and a half million people. How many of those people, and, and you gotta understand that 99% of the bad guys are not in prison. They're in the society. They just haven't been busted yet. They haven't been caught. 
Okay, we've got to take a quick break. 1010 The King, our thing. Be right back. Have you ever met a single person in your life that enjoys paying taxes? No, no one does. If you can't sleep at night because you have a huge problem with the IRS, I've got some free advice for you. This service is strictly limited to individuals that owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes. And if you qualify, we can guarantee that you won't be writing a big fat check to the IRS or our services cost you nothing. The first 100 people that call today will get a free tax consultation worth $500. Stop worrying about your IRS problem. We can help you. We promise. Call the tax doctor right now. I mean right now to learn more. 800-322-8714. 800-322-8714. That's 800-322-8714. Generic Viagra shipped to your door for about $2 a pill. Get the same impact for less. Call Steel Man Pills now and get the same blue pill for about $2 a pill. Call now for the 50-pill special and save even more. Plus, get a free bonus. 800-870-3609. 800-870-3609. That's 800-870-3609. Hey, have you checked out Our Thing Apparel? It's the original gangster clothing brand that lets you represent where you live. Featuring t-shirts, hoodies, vintage tracksuits, and more. Our Thing Apparel allows you to customize your clothing for your city or state. And now, we're proud to launch our Atlanta line of urban casual wear. Check out OurThingApparel.com and use the promo code 1010 when checking out to get 10% off your total order. Make Our Thing your thing. Welcome back to our thing on 1010 The King. So here I am, this guy who lives in a country and could go months without interaction with another human being, literally months, a church sometimes, but all of a sudden I'm thrust into this environment. I'm freaking out, bro. I'm like super, super scared. And I, all I could think about was my wife, my wife. I just want to go home to my wife. I have no bias towards nobody. I'm just scared of how right. I will react to the wrong guy. You know what I'm saying? I'm dangerous. And somebody pushes me to the limit here's another thing and we have time to talk about this but i just saw a video where a guy was trying to rob a store some white kid is in a mask with a friend he jumped over the counter and the guy working behind the counter grabs a knife and stabs him and it's kind of funny but not funny because he's like the guy grabs him from behind stabs him in the back and in the side he's like bam he's like bam bam and you hear the kid go all right man i'm dead i'm dead i'm dead <laughs> i'm like it's not a video game bro you can't hit reset the guy just stabbed you. And he like gave up. He goes, all right, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. You hear him say it three times. Super funny, but not funny, man. Because in his mind, because he's playing Grand Theft Auto his whole life, he's on a video game. It's like, hey, if the guy stabs me, I'm dead. I'm dead. All right. I know you can reset, start over. I go back out and rob him. No, bro, you're going to die. It's not fake. It's not a video game. So you have these kids that spent their entire lives. Who were born? The kids who were born after like 2000. Entire lives. Playing these video games, very violent video games, where the only purpose in the game and the only mission in this game is to kill and rob as many people as they can. 
right? So they play it all their life with people around them. They have no interaction with you. One day the guy takes some pills. I like pills. I'm like, the next thing you know, he's on heroin or fentanyl or whatever. I need a fix. I need dope. Well, I, I play Grand Theft Auto. I know how to rob a store. I know how to rob a car, carjack somebody. And they go in there and they do this. And two things happen. Either they get killed or hurt really bad like that guy, or they kill somebody because it's a game to them. Well, I shoot this guy. No big deal. He'll just reset and he'll get us a new life. Don't work like that. You pull the trigger and shoot somebody, he's dead, and you're in prison for the rest of your life. It's just, it's scary, Bill. Yeah. I'm just saying. You realize the irony of it is the karma, though. You know, you used to be the guy that was terrorized in the ghetto, and that was your place. Now you're getting terrorized in the ghetto. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, it kind of reminds me, when you were a kid, and you're shaking the Jerry's kid, and you're collecting yeah, I, all that Jerry's kid money, and then we get ripped off by a crippled kid how many years later? Did you ever see that old show called My Name is Earl? Yeah, years ago, yeah. Yeah, he's he's like checking off all his karma stuff. Oh, you know, yeah, he's yeah, trying yeah. to make it right. That's what you're doing. Right, I know. <laughs> you right. can make a list of every bad thing, oh, my. and it's all coming back, and you're like checking it off before you die so you could go in clean. Oh, I don't. I did, <laughs> I, I did too much bad, bro. I'll never make it. You know what I'm saying? I'll never get down the list and never get down the That's list. That's a reality show, man. Gunner like cleaning his karma up. <laughs> gunner's clean carbo and i all the things that i did like one time i was robbing a store and these two women came out the back and and they were muslim women i wasn't planning i don't i never targeted women i didn't terrorize women i wouldn't rob nothing like that so there's the dude behind the counter i pull out a pistol give me the money open the safe yada 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 these two women come out and they like stand there in shock they said don't move you know and i i just took what i got right there and ran out of there because i didn't want to really freak them out the women but again, that's like you said, karma stuff. You know, the, I, I robbed some Muslims, and, and now I'm running around with these Muslims. I'm terrified of. Or like you said, uh, I took advantage of Jerry's kids. Uh, you know, next thing you know, I end up getting robbed by some handicapped. Kid. It's not funny. <laughs> it, it's not. It's not funny. But you know, I did so much bad as a kid. I just will say this on my behalf and in my defense, I never intended to hurt anyone. And the few people that, yes, I left mental scars, psychological scars. I know you pull out a gun on somebody that leaves a psychological scar. Most people weren't too terrified. They didn't think I was going to kill them. But I did hurt some guys uh, physically fighting, beating their ass. And more than that, I got paid to hurt a few people. Um, but they had it coming, though. They were guys who, like, kind of had it coming. Like, let's say you're a guy who owes a, a loan shark $20,000 and you're not making your VIG. And you know the loan shark is a mafia-associated loan shark. And you tell the loan shark, listen, I ain't paying this week. Or I don't have the money or whatever. And he says, listen, you got to pay. It's part of the game. you got to pay. And he says, I sell your car or something. I sell selling my car or whatever. And then all of a sudden, the guy, the mob guy who runs the loan shark says, listen, you got to send this guy a message. And um, like, what do you want? What's the message? I want him in the hospital. Okay. It's done. And you go, you know, just beat him up. Sure. And I think it's fair to say anybody that enters the game on any level you're in the game now. Yeah. You're fair game. Yeah, right? you're fair game. Like you decide you're going to set up and start dealing dope on your corner. Yeah. Well, getting robbed is part of that game. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. That's why I targeted pimps and drug dealers as my primary focus when I robbed. When I was out robbing stuff, I robbed pimps and drug dealers. Oh, wise guy, eh? Okay, so this segment of the show is called Street Beat. This is where Bill Crooks from Partners in Crime Podcast, he dives into the latest news in the underworld. Uh, we do a lot of coverage of cartels and mafia. I'm just saying, because I have a history in mafia and true crime. He has a podcast called Partners of Crime. 
we dive deep into what's happening in the world. And, and this week, we have more news from the cartel. It seems like every week, the cartels one-up themselves. First of all, I missed this segment because we did it a lot in Detroit, and it keeps me in touch with everything that's going on. So I'm really glad to be doing this again. I think this will blow your mind. I talk a lot about the cartels and fentanyl and all the problems we're having with that, right? I think last year we had just under 75,000 deaths. That's over 200 a day with fentanyl. And I always suggest that the cartels are to blame, but there's also a complicit law enforcement on the U.S. side. Nobody's doing anything. Well, finally, somebody's doing something and it might surprise you. I'm going to title this one, Mexico Sinaloa Cartel Bans Fentanyl. It goes like this. In response to increasing heat from U.S. law enforcement, Mexico's Sinaloa cartel, the top exporter of fentanyl to the U.S., has banned the deadly drugs production and trafficking. Fentanyl overdose deaths have risen sharply in the U.S., making them a primary focus of drug enforcement efforts, supposedly. More than a dozen banners appeared in known trafficking areas in Mexico, recently announcing a ban signed by the Chapitos and their allies. Now, the Chapitos, of course, are four sons of the infamous and incarcerated Jacan El Chapo Guzman, a mid-level Sinaloa cartel operative reportedly told the Wall Street Journal that he's in the process of dismantling 25 fentanyl labs that he oversaw and some have already stopped producing. Now, if you happen to be in the cartel yeah. fentanyl business and you're wondering... What if I don't stop? You get killed. But don't take my word for it. Trust the three dead bodies found covered with blue pills recently. The first warning to anyone who would dare defy this new edict. Reports have about a dozen people involved in the Sinaloa fentanyl underworld have gone missing in the past 10 days, a local human rights advocate told the journal. The Sinaloa cartel leaders hope U.S. law enforcement will now focus their crackdown efforts on their rival, the Jalisco New Generation cartel. In the meantime, the Sinaloa cartel intends to focus on more palatable industries like the Mexican brown heroin industry <laughs> or the importation of American weapons. Wow. Well, first of all, I mean, it's it's below you to sell fentanyl, which, and by the way, it's statistically, those numbers are insane. 75,000 people. That's 9-11 times 15, by the way. Think about it. 9-11 times 15. Just from this drug coming in, that's gonna. it's horrible. But right. It's bad business. I don't know. People are still going to die from heroin and meth and crack and coke. So Not in those numbers. Not in those numbers. But black tar heroin, I mean, it, it might not be 75,000, but it'd probably be 25,000 people overdose on, on heroin and stuff. Yeah, but fentanyl is a different beast. I think we can all agree. 200 a day, yeah, that's insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is. I've never done it. I've never even seen it. Um, scary to think that. I, I lost a best friend to, to that. And it was uh, years ago, and they didn't know why. But he had called me a few times, and he wasn't right. Like, I couldn't have a conversation with him. And they were like, he snorted some cocaine, and he died. I remember at the time, the toxicology report was fentanyl, and that was before this was a big thing. But it killed wow. a guy that I consider my brother. And I'm not the only one. You know, yeah, John A. Light lost horrible. his daughter. We've all been affected by this. But it's not the moral wow, man. Well, issues I that caused them to do this. It's that there's going to be heat. Like I said, the U.S. government's complicit yeah. in the drug trade. And they said, look, the fentanyl thing has to stop. So Sinaloa is the first one to say, enough's enough. Let's get back to business. I mean, applaud them for that. Kudos to that. 
on the other hand, these are people who skin people alive and murder people, and you know what I'm saying? It's like burn them in a ring of tires and everything else. Right, yeah, yeah. We just set you on fire in a ring of tires. I mean, it's just these are horrible, evil, monstrous people. But they're like, hey, well, we're not gonna sell fentanyl anymore and we're gonna kill everybody who does. So there's that. So they're the only ones who could do anything about it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They're the only ones who can slow it down or stop it. I'm sure there's still people that are gonna get involved, but it's a great message from the cartel to the the dealers and manufacturers that listen, if you make this poison, it's going to cause massive blowback from the, the American government and this heat on us. Stop doing this. We'll make heroin. We'll sell weed. We'll do other sell cocaine, meth, whatever the case. This fentanyl is killing all these kids. Uh, I hate evil, so it is what it is. But I guess that's it for Street Beats this week, Bill. And thanks for tuning us in. And uh, next week, I'm sure you'll have something good. Looks like we've got to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be right back. How would you like to get a free $100 prepaid MasterCard and save money on your television bill? Then call right now. Make the switch to Dish TV. For a limited time, we're offering a two-year price guarantee. That's important for those of you on a fixed budget to know your prices won't go up for two years. Plus, you have hundreds of channels, lots of live news and sports, movies, and more. And when you call right now, you can also ask about our discounts for seniors and those of you in the military. So, make the switch to Dish right now. Pick up the phone and call. Enjoy your television like you are meant to. And when you sign up today, we'll also give you a $100 free prepaid MasterCard. Call right now, ask about our senior discount, our military discount, and your free $100 prepaid MasterCard. 800-795-5573. 800-795-5573. That's 800-795-5573. Paid for by NPS. Switch to Dish TV today for your free prepaid MasterCard. How would you like to get high-speed internet for about $10 a month with no annual contract? It's possible with Whole Home Connect, your internet superstore. The internet's grown up over the years, there used to be maybe one provider. Now you have multiple choices that you may not even be aware of. Whole Home Connect can help you. With one phone call, they will show you the best internet deals available in your neighborhood. And yes we have deals as low as $10 a month, with no annual contracts. Whole Home Connect is your one-stop discount store for all your internet needs. It's time to upgrade your internet plan and save money. Call right now for a free quote and to learn about internet plans starting at $10 a month with no contracts. Call now. 800-846-2124. 800-846-2124. Call right now. 800-846-2124. Again, that's 800-846-2124. The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing and always need to stick your fingers to test your blood sugar. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. Apply a discrete sensor on your body and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger sticks. If you are living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes and you use insulin or have had hypoglycemic events, you might be eligible for a CGM through your insurance benefits. U.S. Med partners with over 500 private insurance companies and Medicare. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill your insurance. Call us today for a free benefits check. 800-235-2760. 800-235-2760. 800-235-2760. That's 800-235-2760. 
What's up? Welcome back to 1010 The King, our thing with my partner in crime, Bill Crooks from Partners in Crime Podcast. And I'd like to welcome to the show my next guest, Seth Ferrente, who's a friend of mine and we've done some work together. But I have to preface his intro with this guy's a really remarkable dude. I'm almost sure someday somebody's going to make a movie about this guy's life, certainly a documentary. He's one of the most interesting people I've ever met. The guy spent 21 years in prison for acid and not even that much of it. He really got railroaded during the war on drugs, but he turned it around a lot like me in some ways where when he was in prison, he said, I'm going to change. This guy ends up getting like a master's degree and all these degrees. He starts writing books. He starts writing for Don Diva. He's doing pieces like Penthouse. He's doing all this work, writing stories about these drug kingpins that he's locked up with and on and on and on. But eventually he gets out and makes a documentary on white boy Rick, produces it. It goes viral on Netflix, has like 14 million downloads. This incredible story that he did this all on his own. But there's more to his story. We'll get into it in a minute and I kind of take it back to how he ended up. I think he was like number two on America's Most Wanted. Just crazy story. Really interesting dude. And the best part about this guy, he's a good dude. Like he's a good guy. He's not one of those douchebags, not freaking arrogant. He's a, he's the guy that yeah, we all wanted to be growing up because he was good looking and funny and charming. And uh, and now he's doing his thing. He spent 21 years in prison, but he turned it around and flipped it on. So what's up, Seth? Man, you make me sound like a superstar, bro. Thank you. Bro, you are a superstar, man. Amen. Well, maybe not yet. Maybe someday. In the eyes of people like me, I see you as a superstar because I look at the struggle. I look at the fight to get where you are. I look at what you overcame, what you achieved. Dude, that's superstar, man. That's superstar stuff, bro. Well, I'd say I'm a little bit of a prison legend. I could probably go in any federal prison and they'll know who I am. I could probably go in any prison on the East Coast and they'll know who I am just because of my book. Yeah, exactly. So go back in time a little bit and tell us about like what happened, how you ended up going to prison for 21 years and like tell them about how you almost got away. <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah, well, I got involved smoking weed probably around 13. And after we like what we called the counterculture back then kind of next was was LSD. And I was always attracted to these type of drugs because I saw them as like mind expanding, mind opening you know, spiritual, therapeutical, medicinal, and whatever. At a young age, I gravitated towards that. And I, I never agreed with the whole war on drugs mentality because I was right there in the mid-80s with, you know, just say no, you know, Nancy Reagan and all, all that nonsense and D.A.R.E. programs and ghouls trying to get kids to snitch on their parents for smoking weed. It was just a ridiculous time. And eventually I started hustling. You know, I was money motivated. Plus, I thought people should have these drugs. So, I started hustling at colleges, and after a couple of years of this, uh, I got big for a teenager, you know, but I was a small minnow in big ocean, you know. You know, we got people like Pablo Escobar out there, so. Yeah. You know, in that regard, I wasn't anybody, and even in federal prison, you meet a lot of big drug big dealers. Yeah. But, you know, for a teenager, I was doing my thing. Eventually, like, a bunch of stuff transpires, and the, the DEA and the feds got on my case, and they busted me, and they busted my crew, and... Pretty much everybody snitched, except like a couple people. And um, it was just a mess, man. I didn't want to be involved. You know, I, I, I didn't want to go to trial and face a lot of time. I didn't want to plead guilty, you know, or say I was going to cooperate or do any of this type of stuff. So I just took off. You know, I had a little bit of money. I took off. But I made this plan that I was going to fake my death. And and I set it up and I did it in this river. It's this, this rapids. 
you know, section right in Great Falls in Northern Virginia. It's like a park, a national park, and there's like these class five rapids. And I always remember people jumping in there and committing suicide. So I kind of set the little scene up and I put a suicide note and I made it seem like I jumped in the water. And my plan was just to disappear. And if Seth Ferrante is gone for seven years and they can't find a body, right. then Seth Ferrante can be declared legally dead. And then there is no case. You know, I'm somebody else, and I could, you know, really become Seth Ferrante again. What could they do? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe now they could do whatever they want, but maybe back then, who knows? Wouldn't there be some kind of statute of limitations? Yeah, seven years. Yeah, yeah, because no murder. Yeah, no murder. But uh, I don't know if you could, like, be declared legally dead and then become yourself again. I guess you would have to be somebody else. Can't come back to life. Well, didn't you end up on America's Most Wanted list, though? Yeah, for some crazy reason. Yeah, so I, I, I made it seem like I committed suicide. I made it seem like I jumped in the water, and then I took off. And uh, I thought it was a foolproof plan because I thought my body was going to go out to the Atlantic Ocean. You know, they never find the body, whatever. That was my plan, at least. But I made one little miscalculation. I, I staged a suicide on the wrong side of the dam. You know, they had some dams to calm down the waters before all the bridges and stuff that go into D.C., so that was my one little miscalculation. So after two weeks, they dragged the river and they declared my suicide a hoax. Oh, man. And that basically made them so angry with you that when you finally went to court, they just bolted you up. I mean, it's just unbelievable to give us young, good looking, middle class kid. He's not a bad kid. He wasn't a kingpin or, and just acid, you know. But they at the time were so hard on for the war on drugs that they made an example out of this poor kid and fried him. Just unbelievable that you were able to keep your mind sane. And I know you did that because you had your mom, your girl, some family support. And that's the only way to stay sane with that much time is be connected to the world. Plus, you channeled your energy and time into education, learning, taught yourself how to write, became a writer, just like I did in prison. And that, I'm sure, made all the difference. So... What originally attracted you to make a documentary about White Boy Rick, who I just talked to like two days ago? Yeah, I, I wrote about Rick, not extensively, but I, I probably did about four or five articles for different websites like The Fix. I did one like 2012 or 2013, The Fix, and it kind of reignited interest in his case. You know, there was always interest in his case, but but I did this article and it kind of went viral. And, you know, it, it just it's a, just about catching those algorithms in the news cycle. And then it led to a couple other pieces. Why was I still in? And then when I got out, you know, that that's what I was kind of, you know, carrying the torch for the dude, you know, in, in a way, you know, not only with my journalism and my writing, but also, you know, I had film aspirations. So I had that in the back of my mind. I knew they were talking about a Hollywood movie about him, you know, some big names. And and I was in the right place at the right time with this dude who had a, a studio made documentaries. And I, I just interviewed him for his previous documentary for Vice. And we struck up a rapport or a friendship or whatever. And I pitched him the white boy story based off of a lot of the articles I had done and my access. And he liked it. You know, and, and he took me under his wings and, and we made the film. So that's how that whole film came about. You know, and we made that film. We made it to get Rick out. But for more selfish reasons, you know, I made that film so I could learn how to make documentaries because the guy, Sean Rick in Transition Studios, he had done like 200 Crime Stopper shows and won like nine regional Emmys. So the dude knew what he was doing. I mean, he's like a craftsman. He's like a technician, you know, so he took me under his wings and on that project and, and really mentored me and, and taught me how to make super high production value documentaries. Well, you did a great job. I remember the day you called me, it was kind of random. <laughs> I see it, Seth Ferrante. Oh, Seth calling me. And you go, dude, my, my doc's going viral. 
And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, like I got like 10 million downloads in the last like two weeks or something. I'm like, word? So I actually got it. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I was super happy for you, man. Super happy. No, no, it was it was awesome because it was in the top 10 on Netflix for like two weeks, not just for docs, for like everything. And everybody was calling me and saying, like, as soon as I put on Netflix, like it comes up like on the screen. So it was just like, for whatever reason, it was like banging in the algorithms and you know, I mean, you know that from social media, like once you get one of those things, bangers, oh. you know, the, the, the sky's the limit. Yeah, it just gets caught on that algorithm. Enough people are watching, enough people are interested. It's making more people interested. Right. Yeah. So that's a beautiful thing. Those algorithms, when you get in them like that, it's just uh, everybody's, that's a million dollar question of like, how do you do that? Everybody's right. trying to figure out how to do that. I think personally, like, okay, it's talent, story, writing, directing. It's It's a combination of talent. I don't say there's no real luck involved. I don't think. I think every result was from something that you did you and your partners so i'm giving you the credit not just random algorithm but yes the algorithm is a thing if you can oh no it's cumulative it's cumulative but still it's like right place right time type of thing i think life life and and the algorithm is is right time right right place right time but you got to be prepared oh yeah you got you got to have a, the right product yeah so now you got the new documentary dope man which bill has recently watched Tell us a little about that and what made you gave you interest in doing a, a doc on a, the mafia's involvement in drugs. I think there's a lot of legend and lore and misconceptions, and I think that's what you did. You're making a series, right? Yeah, it's gonna it's it's gonna be a series. So this is like basically the pilot or the first episode. So I got I got like franchise ideas for this, but look, I want to flip it a little. And Bill, man, give me like your review, man. Give me your take, and then. Tell me something you were wondering about the film that I might be able to answer. All right. First of all, I saw this one and on the heels of White Boy Rick. And if anybody hasn't seen White Boy Rick, go back and see it. Because I think when a lot of people hear documentary, they're thinking PBS kind of stuff. This isn't what he does. It's an art. And the way he does it, I feel like now I was telling Gunner, I think I would know one of your docs if I saw it, even if you weren't in it. So... When I watched it, I got a lot of the hits of the style that you do now. You tell a story and you break it up between multiple people so it never gets boring. You have all these interesting characters and they'll pick up right where the other one left off. And you do a lot of graphic effects and stuff. Yeah. Keep you off guard a little bit. Not just the black and white footage, but there's almost like a 3D haze effect. And then, of course, my favorite is the animation. Uh, was that Cipollini that did the animation? No, no, no. He He's a writer of the doc. That was from his comic book, though. Lucky. Yeah, the art reminded me of Lucky. No, it was from Lucky, but the, the artist was a Russian artist, but the same one from the comic book. But the art was from the comic book. That's right. That's we right. just we just had we had it in the PSDs, you know, so it's like in the multiple layers, not like a JPEG, which is flat. So we can manipulate. Right. It. Like somebody would be standing there, but his arms would move and. It wasn't quite in the same style as White Boy Rick, but it was cool. I, I love that kind of stuff. How do you pick the people that are going to be in it? Because it seemed like there was like 10 guys in this. Yeah, thing. I just try to find the experts. I just like to get a lot of material, man. I like to have a lot of material to draw from. Just like I come from a journalist background, so I would interview people for like two, three, four, five hours to write like a 5,000-word piece. You know, So I just like to get tons of stuff so I can pick the best. You know, I want the best sound bites to tell the story. You know, with the people saying it with the most expression. So, 
You know, we're just trying to piece together the narrative. I don't like to have like a lot of narration. I can come in at the end like I did in White Boy and Dopeman. So I can come at the end and I can give an interview for kind of intertwining the parts and stuff like that. But I don't like to do like like narration. That's like the old school documentaries. Yeah. Right. So, That's um, what I want to make clear. That is not what he does. It's it's yeah. very dynamic and interesting and it's always moving. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's cinematic. I want it to be like a, a feature film. You know, a lot of documentaries, you know, in the 80s or maybe in the 90s, it was like infomercials basically you know there was no like act structures and i think now the new documentaries like how sean Reck taught me on white boy is you, you follow the cinematic structure so it's like act one act two act three yeah you know so it's a cinematic structure like a movie so you get emotionally invested into the characters because that's like a, a time proved you know tradition movies like that three act structure you know it's it's like proven yeah it could be a novel a movie a tv series it's the same thing there are those three-act elements that make for a great story. And I, that's what you're trying to do with your doc, which is dope, man. So no, no pun intended, dope, man. Huh? <laughs> so what do you got now on your plate? What's the next one? I know you did that other one on St. Louis. What else you got popping? Yeah, Nightlife. Yeah, that came out. This month is going to be the, the Psychedelic Revolution, the Secret History, the LSD Trade, Part 1, the Genesis. So this is kind of like my other franchise series. I got Dope Men and I got the Psychedelic Revolution. Well, I'm going to tell these different stories. And, you know, I'm not Netflix, man, so I'm not going to do all 10 at once. You know, I don't have, sure. you know, it cost me like $1.5 million or something. So I don't got $1.5 million. So you're not going to do them like one at a time. Yeah. You're not going to do them, put them out, sell them, get the money back, and, you know, start putting the next one out. Well, I think you're going to do good because regardless, is you're very talented. I mean, you established that as a writer. Now you're establishing as a documentarian. You had, obviously, big success with White Boy. I'm sure Dope Man's going to be very successful. And that's what's going to happen. More and more people are going to throw money at you and say, okay, if you can do this. Here, let's do the next level. Let's do the next edition, next whatever. This is my vision of you. First of all, I do see you having a documentary minimum made out of your life, possibly a movie, which would be great. But I bet you, 10 years from now, we'll be talking about Seth Ferrente is a director of films, like feature films. That's just my guess, you know what I'm saying? It's going to happen. You're one of those guys who can't be stopped. You have a vision, you go, and nothing can stop you. You prove it by pushing through 21 years of prison and coming out the other side a better man. I feel like I can relate with my own life. So you're going to keep kicking and keep killing it, I'm sure, man. I'd be stunned if that didn't happen. Yeah, I would do. I mean, as long as this guy stays alive, he's going to end up being a big film director in Hollywood. He just don't die. That's it. Stay healthy. You've already died, so we've seen that. He doesn't have to die now. <laughs> you, right. You'd be repeating yourself. That's my next step. That's my ne hey, that's my next step. After I crank out about 45, 50 hours of this true crime counterculture yeah. gangster content. You'll have your foot well in the door. Over the next three years. Over the next three years. That's my goal. Well, listen, man. Nobody wants to see that more than us, bro. We're truly your champions, and uh, we appreciate you and your story. And we're thinking it's going to be amazing. I know it is. Make sure to check out Seth Ferrante and his books at GorillaConvict.com, right? Yeah, GorillaConvict.com. I'm on social media at Seth Ferrante. Yeah. yeah. And you can get my films are on Amazon, Dope Man, America's First Drug Cartel, and Nightlife. And this month, it's going to be on Amazon, Psychedelic Revolution, The Secret History, The LSD Trade, Part 1, The Genesis. <laughs> so that that's, that's going to be out there. I mean, Doman is doing really well, but I, I think Psychedelic Revolution is going to do way better than even Doman because there's just so much interest in the psychedelic space yeah. right now. It's yeah. kind of like at its zenith. Yeah, and there's a lot of old school people like myself who tried acid when they were young or got into it for a while. 
and they want to kind of hear this history and this story told through like a, a cinematic lens like you do. I think it'll be very interesting, man. Yeah. People are like, I'll watch that. Well, bias too. I always tell people, you know, I, I think I'm very cinematic and uh, I'm, I'm a craft person and, and stuff like that. But, you know, I, I think what makes me really unique is I tell the stories through a biased point of view. I was locked up. I was a victim of the war on drugs. I was locked up for 21 years. My point of view is to me, it's the real history. To somebody yeah. else, maybe it's not the real history. But, you know, if I got to consider your history, you're going to consider my history. Right. Amen. Yeah, I like it. Man, I got a couple of great I got a couple of great acid stories. I'll have to tell you someday where I tripped out and did some funny stuff. Super funny. But anyways, well, Bill, do you have anything you'd like to add before we go? Yeah, I got a couple of things. First of all, so you're in jail and you're writing stuff, but there's lots of guys doing stuff in jail. What was that point when you started to realize you're not just a guy in jail writing stuff, but people are actually starting to read it? What was that breakthrough? Because there's guys writing out that are not in jail and can't catch a break. You know what I mean? What, what got that spark going for you? When I started getting paid, so one, one of the first gigs I got paid was vice bro I, I started doing a column for vice called i'm busted that's huge and so i'm in prison and this is like you know late 90s early 2000s when they were just basically uh, this low rent gq magazine with the do's and don'ts section you know but they were like hip and trendy they were in all the big you know cities like london tokyo new york la and i started doing a column from i'm busting i think they're paying me some crazy shit like 750 you know because that was like print back then like you could get money dude print for print journalism and I was doing like maybe like 1,200 words a month and they were paying me like 750 And dude, I was just like living like a king dude with that 750 Yeah, that's big for prison, bro. That's big. Yeah, so that's kind of when I figured I'd had something, you know, because I before then I was just sending out pitches. I was sending out pitches, like article ideas. Sometimes I would write little articles. I was writing for stuff in the prison at that time. Uh, I was like the sports writer. I would do the sports like little, you know, write-ups on the sports and the stats and then, and, and I would go around and post them in all the units on the bulletin boards. So that was like my job at rec. And then I, I would do like the Spanish, like for the soccer, I would do it in English and then we would translate to Spanish and we'd put that up for the soccer. And I used to do the, the softball and I used to do like little Peter Vesey commentary type stuff, you know, or like uh, Dick Vitale, you know, like when they used to have columns in USA Today, Peter Vesey and Dick Vitale. And I used to do like little columns like that. Yeah, that puts you on the map, bro. That's what got you going. Yeah, yeah, in the prison. Yeah, in the prison. Yeah, definitely. But then I started sending out pitches, man. And, and I got that vice gig, bro. And I think before I maybe had one or two things in Don Diva. Still, man, it's well done and uh, impressive. Yeah. Then it just exploded. It exploded. And I had friends get out and they would tell me, this is like, you know, Towards the end of my bed, you know, in the, like 2008, 2009, 2010, 2012. And they would get out and they would say, dude, because I had the blog too, Gorilla Convict. And they'd be like, dude, you don't know how like big your online presence is and your writing is. Like, like you have no idea. Yeah, that's gangster, bro. That, that, that was gangster. So that kind of made me think, you know, even bigger then. Yeah, and you were on to something. It made you realize that you were on to something. Just like me, when people are re reading my books in prison, they're like, wow, dude, it's the best book I ever read. You hear it once, okay, thanks. When you hear it a hundred times, you're like, I'm on to something here, man. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. Bill, is there anything else before we go? Yeah, almost. Talking about thinking big. So in the future and coming up, what is the biggest subject on your radar that you really want to take on? Well, I got this Tangled Roots project that I, I got I got going. Um, so I got all the footage. I, I was going to do it myself, but I've actually been talking to different people. So I think I got a deal in principle with this dude. I'm not going to mention any names or, or who it is or anything. So, you know, because we still got to cross all the paperwork hurdle and all that type of stuff. What's it about? 
It, the Tangled Roots is it's it's my um basically my love letter to the Emerald Triangle. You know, it's 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 about <laughs> it's about the OGs, man. It's about the back to the landers, about the people, the homesteaders who went all the way out there. You know, like over fifty years ago, and and settled out there just to like from America. And, you know, just because they smoked weed, they started growing weed and then they started growing weed really good. And then all the helicopters and the military came and tried to shut them down. And then, you know, a lot of their kids or grandkids, you know, got sent to prison. Some some of the old heads got sent to prison for growing weed. And now they came back out. They had the green rush, you know, and they made a lot of money again for the first time in a while, you know, without as much scrutiny. And then legalization came and, and they all thought they were going to do brands and everybody's going to have success. But it hasn't turned out like that, man. Really, you know, legalization has pretty much frozen a lot of these guys out. So that's I want to tell that story. I'm t- I, I filmed it. I, I just got to edit it. Yeah. I'm going to try to do like me and this dude are talking about doing 10, uh, 30 minute episodes. That's huge, man. I think a lot of the world doesn't know that story yeah. and should, but it's also super interesting. Even if you don't, it's crazy. At one point I was getting weed from there. Oh, allegedly. I never knew for sure, but it actually was grown in California. According to the contact went up to Canada and then came always to Canada over to Windsor, Detroit. And it was always that they were saying it's Emerald triangle, but I don't know. I didn't know nothing about it, you know, nothing, but it's, Remarkable story. So I'm sure that'll be cool, man. I look forward to that. Hey, eh, Bill. Yeah, you take a good story, throw in some Seth for any, can't lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah can't lose. Well, Seth, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate you. We'll have to have you back on as soon as your next doc drops. Boom, you come back on, tell us some more stories. One of the things I'd like to do on another episode is just kind of sit down and, from your perspective, share some of your prison stories. I read one of your books about a dude in prison, loosely based on you and your. And uh, it was amazing. I, I watched, yeah, I listened yeah. to it on audiobook. It was a really good story that I was into it. So I'd love to go back in time with you and on another show and literally kind of talk about some of your experiences in prison, how you survived, some of the worst things that you saw. I mean, there's a lot there. So we'll have to have you back on another day to do that for sure. I look forward to it. But anyways, make sure everybody check out his books at GorillaConvict.com. Make sure to check out his docs, on White Boy and Dope Man on Dope Man's on Amazon. Netflix still has White Boy. White Boy, yeah. And order my books on Gorilla Convict, and I can autograph them for you instead of Amazon. Yeah, stay abreast of this guy. He's going places. He's going to be this guy's a shooting star. Make sure to check him out. Stay tuned to what he's doing. Uh, amazing talent. So definitely worth checking out. Just trying to keep my feet on the ground. Just trying to keep my feet on the ground, bro. Bro, you're you're one of them humble dudes, man. You're always going to be on the ground. But uh, man, thanks for coming on. Everybody else, 1010 The King, Our Thing. God bless. You've been listening to Our Thing. Archived episodes can be found on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever podcasts are consumed.